Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We know the elements of erosion, wind, water, and time. They've shaped the spectacular physical landscape of our nation. In her new book, Erosion, Essays of Undoing, Terry Tempest Williams explores the many forms of erosion we face, of democracy, science, compassion, and trust. She asks, how do we find the strength to not look away from all that's breaking our hearts? And she asks what has been weathered, she says rather, what has been weathered, worn, and whittled away is as powerful as what remains. Our undoing is also our becoming. Terry Tempest-Williams is the award-winning author of The Hour of Land, a personal topography of America's national parks, Refuge, an unnatural history of family and place, Finding Beauty in a Broken World, and When Women Were Birds, among other books. Her work is widely taught and anthologized around the world. She's a member of the uh, American Academy of Arts and Letters. She's currently a writer-in-residence at the Harvard Divinity School. She and her husband, Brooke Williams, divide their time between Cambridge, Massachusetts, and Castle Valley, uh, Utah. The book, Erosion, Essays of Undoing, is out now. Terry Tempest-Williams, pleasure to welcome you back to Access Utah. Thank you. Hi, Tom. It's great to talk with you. Uh, so, uh, Harvard Divinity School, you, you've you been there a while now? Um, I'm in my third year. I'm learning so much every day. Uh, last night we just had a special reading with the poet Bob Haas, and we're in the middle of a film series called The Politics of the Unseen, um, exploring the moral imagination through film. So it's an exciting place to be, um, and I feel lucky to have a job, and I miss Utah. I don't know what it's like right now in Cambridge. It's bone-chilling cold right now in in Utah. Wow. I just talked to Brooke, and he said it was like 13 degrees in Castle Valley. So I can report a 61 degrees here in Cambridge with a beautiful fall theme experience. Oh, wow. Boy, I wish I was there. Um, So you you split your time uh, these days. Um, Castle Valley is yeah. home, of, of course. Uh, I want to jump right into erosion um, and, and the first sentence in the prologue. If the world is torn to pieces, I want to see what story I can find in fragmentation. And uh, I wonder, there, there could be hopelessness there, right? But you're definitely engaged. You go on a couple of paragraphs and you talk about, you know, and you, and you get angry. And there's, there is anger throughout the book. Um, I wonder what you would say about that. Is 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 this sliding scale between dispassion and 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 total engagement? Uh, where do you think you are right now? That's a great question. Um, you know, I think it's this, that, and all of it. I think we are watching the erosion of our democracy. I think we're watching the erosion of science and truth. Um, we're watching the erosion in the state of Utah, of our public lands and our national monuments, with President Trump gutting Bears Ears National Monument by 85% and Grand Staircase Escalante cut in half. So, you know, there's plenty to be concerned about. But I think it's easy to see that, you know, we're, we're experiencing this fragmentation of the open space of democracy. But, you know, there is such wisdom in the state of Utah, primarily, from my point of view, coming from tribal leaders such as Willie Grayeyes, who serves on the San Juan Juan County Commission. 
And I remember after Trump had got a uh, bear's ears, I went down to visit him. And I said, Willie, you know, what do you do with your anger? And he said, Terry, this can no longer be about anger. It has to be about healing. And I think about that every day. You know, and at first I thought, is that passive? But he explained to me, you know, we cannot begin to heal as individuals, as a state, as a nation, as a world, as a planet, if we don't know where the source of our pain is. And he was saying, you know, if we have a sliver in our heel, if we do not identify where that sliver is and remove it, then there will be no healing. So I think we have to really look at what are these wounds within our country, whether it's racism, whether it's how we've treated Native people, whether it's confusing capitalism with democracy. You know, I think this is where we begin to be productive citizens. We take these different pieces of the mosaic um, and create something whole. You you tell, I think this is the first essay in the book, you, you tell an interesting story, you, you and your husband, Brooke, uh, were seated on your porch there in Castle Valley, having a bit of an argument, you say. And he, he accused you of being too immersed in politics. Obsessed, apparently, was the word he used. What if you tell well, me a bit think, about that? You know, Brooke and I have different um, personalities and different ways of, of seeing the world. But, you know, I just, I, I said, you know, how do we not be engaged? How do we not, you know, find that passionate response? And, and that it, it actually is about um, other species. It's not just about ourselves. And, you know, Brooke and I have, I think it's why we've been married 45 years. We always have these um, healthy conversations of how do we engage, how do we um, be of use in the world. But just literally at the moment when I said, you know, we, we have to think about these species beyond ourselves, that we are not the only species that lives and loves and grieves on the planet. Just then, Tom, coming directly toward us um, through the driveway was this immense great horned owl flying with such velocity straight toward us. And just as she was coming directly toward me, um, she banked and disappeared. I looked at Brooke. He had tears in his eyes. I was shaking, and I just wanted to know where she went. And I walked off the porch, looked up, and she was sitting on the pitch of the roof, just staring. So, you know, I think there is this animated world that surrounds us. And our task as, as human beings is to pay attention. Uh, you you and uh, Brooke were having a, a discussion at that point before the, the owl uh, came about balance, I believe. And I want to connect that to what you said earlier, uh, Willie Gray eyes, you know, saying we, we can't live in, in anger anymore. We have to live in, in healing. Uh, but for a majority of the country... In the Trump era, um, it it has been a continual, um, at least, temptation to anger, right? Because the minority of the country that, that, that loves Trump, uh, they're uh, thrilled, I suppose. And it was opposite, I think, in the Obama years. Um, maybe talk a little bit about that. A large section of the country has been living in anger. And, and how do they get away from that? Well, I, I don't think it's very productive for any of us. And again, that segregation, that fragmentation, you know, it's, I really think we have to go 
beyond politics in a very real way that we have to go deeper. We have to have the hard conversations. I know we have them around our own dinner table. You know, our family is mixed politically. There are those who voted for Trump. There are those who didn't. Um, But I think, as my brother Hank said, you know, let's have a real conversation. What's beyond the politics? How do we feel? How, How do we contribute? You know, what concerns us? And I think there's there's a common sense that still reigns in this country that we have to tap into. And, you know, I think the state of Utah is a really good example in terms of, you know, there may be many things that we don't agree with, but I think what we do agree with is that we love this state of beauty, that that we do love our national parks, we do love our national monuments, we care about families. And, where you know, how do we find that through line that binds us together rather than tears us apart. I think about my uncle as an example. Um, Our politics are extremely different, and yet I love our conversations. I love his capacity at 85 years old, you know, to still hunt and find wonder and awe. You know, when our families are together up in Jackson Hole, we're listening to the Elks people. We're talking about family stories, and I think... That's where we can begin to transcend conversations of polarity and begin to really think about what does it mean to be human at this moment in time and how do we engage in more significant, satisfying ways. I'm sure people find that uh, hopeful, your experience in your families. So how do you do that? You, you uh, There's some topics you have to set aside, and, and uh, but then you push to find the commonalities? You know, I don't think our family has put many topics aside, and maybe with a name like Tempest, you know, (laughs) you're more prone to volatile conversations. But, you know, I think it's a commitment to relationships, whether it's a commitment to our families, and, you know, Thanksgiving's coming up, Christmas is coming up, there's stress, you know, when you think, oh no, what are we going to talk about? But on the other hand, it's about love and time and commitment and relationships. And, you know, I think that's where we can place our energy. And if we forget how to engage in compassionate ways, in deeper ways, then I, I think we have a, a steady diet of rage, and that doesn't help anyone. And it's certainly not very fun to live there. I've done that before, mm-hmm. and I, and, you know, it, it it crops up almost every day. You know, you have to say, okay, breathe. This is not about Trump. This is a reflection of who we are as a nation and how who are the candidates we want to support. You know, what are the issues that enliven us? And, you know, last night with Bob Hass's reading and Jory Graham, you know, to find the poetry of life, to look at the earth as as the one common place we call home. Again, I think it's it's going deeper, seeing longer and having a more expansive view. One other another negative emotion that uh, you, that you talk about uh, in the book and where I'm sure a segment of the population 
is living or trying not to live is despair. I want to quote to just a paragraph. Uh, you say, my father said to me the other day, we have to stare it down, it being grief, it being everything we, he can't control, like age, the waning strength in his legs or the loss of another uh, son. Uh, we have to stare it down, he says. I love that. I love that my father said, um, you know, this was after our brother Dan's, you know, his son's death by suicide. My my brother hung himself um, on July 27th, 2018. It was, it was devastating. Um, suicide has teeth in, in ways I had never encountered, and he was a brilliant, beautiful, broken man. Um, who suffered from depression. And, you know, how does a family recover from that? I'm, I'm not sure you ever do. But I loved how my father called me one night and just said, Terry, we have to stare this down. You know, we stare at, we, and that's something, you know, that's a way my father um, can embrace grief. And he's experienced a lot of it, as, as we all do. And, you know, how I see that is, you know, how do we find the strength to not look away from all that breaks our hearts? And Tom, I don't see that as a negative. I don't see that as despair. I see that as rising to the moments that we are presented with. You know, how do we be present? How do we embrace our grief? How do we begin to see our grief as love? And and still you know, be able to stay upright. And for me, you know, Erosion is is not a negative book. It's not a depressing book or a book about despair. It's about how we are eroding and evolving at once. Brooke and I live in an eroding valley, and it's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been on Earth. You know, you, you see the weathering agents of wind, water, and time, and how it brings a place like Castleton Tower into its essence. You know, we know the power of Bryce Canyon or Zion or Canyonlands. We see rocks that tell time differently. We, we see the beauty of erosion. And I think even as we watch so much of what we care about, um, and it doesn't matter if we're Republican or Democrat, eroding from a free society as it's moving toward fascism, from my point of view. Um, we are evolving. We are finding out what values as Americans we do want to uphold. You know, I honor Senator Romney for asking the tough questions within the Republican Party. Um, and I think this is where we are evolving into a consciousness we wouldn't have known before. So that's what I'm, I'm trying to look at is, you know, in this process that on the surface can be a, a time of, of deep despair in the climate crisis, um, it's also a time of, of tremendous transformation as, as we really embrace this reckoning of what it means to be human at this moment in time with the climate crisis around us. Before we go to break, I want to talk about one of the epigraphs in the book. Um, All souls come here to rub the sharp edges off each other. This isn't suffering, it's erosion. Um, And that that speaks to me of of the connections that we do need, even though they sometimes can be painful. And Tom, how do you read that? I'm interested. 
um, it, 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 like I say, connections, uh, you know, connections, mm-hmm. the, those interactions, the, those tough conversations that you and your, your family have, right? Um, yeah. Is how that struck me. How does it strike you? You know, I, I love that quote because I agree with you. To me, it's at the essence of what erosion is. This isn't suffering, it's erosion. How we rub the sharp edges off each other. I, you know, it's how do, we, how do we soften our souls so that we can stay open and pliable and, what's the word? Um, you know, how do we not become rigid? And, and I think it's by listening. And to me, the one thing that, that I value the most um, living in the desert is it has taught me, we've been in Castle Valley for over 20 years now, it's really taught me to listen, to listen to the stillness, to listen to the wing beats of ravens. You know, you hear a rock falling down, um, you know, the, the slanted slope of, of the mesa. And to listen to one another, I'm fascinated, and I think it, it comes back to curiosity, you know, tell me what you think and why. I'm really interested. And I think that that wears off the the rough edges of all of us and and we can live more comfortably together. And I think it's a fascinating quote coming from Chuck Palahniuk, who you know, who wrote The Fight Club and has been tied to more conservative thinking. You know, one of my liberal friends said, How dare you? You know, why are you using Chuck Palahniuk as, as a frontispiece? But to me, that's also the point. I think we have far more that binds us together than separates us. We just joined us. We're talking with Terry Tempest-Williams uh, about her new book, Erosion, Essays of Undoing. Uh, Terry Tempest-Williams is writing in residence at Harvey, Harvard Divinity School, and we've reached her in Cambridge, Massachusetts. She splits uh, with her husband, Brooke Williams. They divide their time between Cambridge, Massachusetts and Castle Valley, uh, Utah. You're welcome to join this conversation. Love it if you would. 800-826-1495 is the toll-free number, 800-826-1495, or upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. Right before we go to break, uh, Terry Tempest-Williams, I want to put in a plug for a broadcast of a panel discussion that you were involved uh, with. Uh, you were in Logan just uh, last week, I believe. Um, there's a uh, an exhibit ongoing at the Nora Eccles Harrison Museum of Art on the USU campus uh, called Utah's Proving Ground, Aesthetics, Environment, and Politics of Dugway uh, Proving Ground. Uh, the artist David Maisel uh, has uh, done extensive uh, photograph photographing of uh, Dugway Proving Ground. He got uh, permission to go on that uh, that grounds, and there was a discussion, including David Mazel and Terry Tempest Williams. Um, we're going to broadcast that panel discussion on Friday, uh, 10 a.m. and Saturday, 3 p.m. You're welcome to join us uh, for that. Terry Tempest Williams, anything you'd like to say about that uh, that panel discussion? That was one of the most powerful um, exhibits I've ever seen. And I just have so much respect for the curation of the exhibit for Utah State for taking this on and placing it so powerfully within the Museum of Art. David Mazel's work is singular. You know, it took him 10 years to gain permission from the Pentagon to be able to photograph Dugway Proving Grounds. And I have to say, I really honor 
um, Vincent, who was the chief of staff, who who came to speak about um, the Dugway Proving Grounds. And, you know, here's a perfect example of, you know, not agreeing. And we had a conversation before where I said, you know, Vincent, I so honor that you're here. I so appreciate that you're speaking from a place of transparency as much as you can, um, given the secrecy, you know, of what you do. But please don't take it personally. You know, I'm going to disagree with you. I'm going to ask you some hard questions. And he said, and I'll ask you hard questions too. And we ended up having a wonderful conversation. Um, he invited me for a, a tour of the Dugway Proving Grounds, which I'm definitely going to do. And, you know, to have perspectives of Mark, the biologist, with David, the photographer, you know, with um, a spokesperson from the Proving Grounds, to me, this is what community looks like. And it was a privilege to be there. And I really honor the um, courage of Utah State to take this issue head-on. Again, an example of not turning away from the hard conversations, even chemical clouds of chlorine um, being detonated in the open air, to be able to ask kind of the questions, what does that mean? Where does it go? How does that affect our communities, both human and wild? It was a thrilling conversation, and it's an elegant, exquisite, terrifying, um, provocative exhibit. So we'll be broadcasting that panel discussion, and that is uh, this Friday, 10 a.m., and repeated Saturday afternoon at uh, 3 p.m., so stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for the rest of this conversation with Terry Tempest-Williams. We're talking about her book, Erosion, and more following this break. This is Debbie Andrew with Utah Public Radio. I'm excited to invite everyone to join us for our comedy night at the Cash Venue with comedians Craig Bielik and Joshua Fonokalafi from Laughs TV and Dry Bar Comedy on Saturday, November 16th. Tickets are available at upr.org and thecashvenue.com and the doors open at 6. Food and drinks are not included in the ticket price but are available at the Cash Venue. Again, that is Saturday, November 16th. Doors open at 6. I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Hey Jen, did you know that on the American frontier when fruit and berries were in short supply, they'd make vinegar pie? Vinegar? That's not something I usually eat for dessert. It was something like lemon meringue but with cider vinegar instead of lemon. That sounds interesting. Interesting, inventive, resourceful, just like our segment, Bread and Butter. We discuss all sorts of food topics from culinary research to our favorite local food finds. Sundays at 11, just before the splendid table. UPR is everywhere you are with classical music programming, news, and information. Statewide through 36 signals, worldwide on the web at upr.org and through the new UPR app. UPR is only a push of the button away. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. My guest for the hour is Terry Tempest Williams, award-winning author of Hour of the Land, Refuge, um, and women, When Women Were Birds, among other uh, books. Work is widely taught and anthologized around the world. Uh, she's currently a writer in residence at Harvard Divinity School. She and her husband, Brooke, divide their time between Cambridge, Massachusetts and Castle Valley, Utah. And we've reached Terry Tempest Williams uh, in Cambridge, uh, Massachusetts. Uh, you're welcome to join the conversation. A couple of ways you can do that. 800-826-1495 is the toll-free number. 800-826-1495 with your question or comment for Terry Tempest-Williams. Or you can email us, upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. The new book is Erosion, Essays of Undoing. 
Uh, so Terry Tempest Williams, I want to uh, make reference to, uh, again, I think this is the opening essay. Um, I'll just quote this. Not long ago, a friend visited us from New York City. Uh, I'm sure you're talking about Casa Valley, that came to Casa Valley, planning to stay several days in the desert. But after her first night, we awoke in the morning, found her with her bags packed, <laughs> standing at the front door. She had changed her plane ticket for an early return to Manhattan. Her last words to us as she left were, aren't you afraid you'll be forgotten? Uh, so my first reaction <laughs> that was was amusement, as you could hear. Uh, she, <laughs> I guess you know, Manhattan and the desert of Utah are very different, uh, you know, very different um, uh, places. Uh, I wonder if you tell me a little bit about that. And, and then you had a, a response back. You didn't tell her that, but uh, your response back was, uh, I hope so. I hope I'll be forgotten. You know, I, I just keep thinking about that story. You know, a friend called us from New York and said, I've met this wonderful woman. Can I bring her out? We said, of course. We can't wait to meet her. And they came. We had this wonderful walk and dinner and conversation. And I thought, oh, this is so wonderful. You know, having friends here and um, really sharing the truths of our lives under a, the Milky Way in a starlit sky with you know, red rocks silhouetted against the darkness. And um, we all went to bed. We have a guest room. The next morning, I heard this rumbling, as you suggest, and I get up. And, you know, our guest, our new friend, um, was packed ready to go. And she said, I can't stay here. You know, it's it's too quiet. It's too vast. It's It's to everything. And, um, you know, and so we all got up and our friend, you know, they didn't even stay for coffee. We walked them out and that's when she turned to me and said, aren't you afraid you'll be forgotten? And what I wanted to say was, I hope so, you know. Um, But it, it made me think about, you know, how each of us intuit places differently um, based on our frames of reference. But it also made me think about, you know, no, I'm not afraid of being forgotten. Um, I will be forgotten. But what I am afraid of is forgetting. And what am I afraid of forgetting? I think remembering what we're connected to, remembering that, um, you know, one of the gifts of, of the desert and of Western landscapes is you realize how small we are and how large the world is. And to me, that's the beginning of of wonder and awe. It's not a diminishment of self, but it's an expansion of self that you realize you're tied to everything that lives and breathes, including the pulse of, of stone, even Castleton Tower, which I'm sure you read the articles from the um, geologists at the University of Utah, who, with the help of climbers, placed seismometers at the base of Castleton Tower and at the top. And what did they find? They found that Castleton Tower has a pulse. You know, I find that staggeringly beautiful, that the earth is alive, that stone has a presence that can register um, the depths of, of seismic waves in the core of the earth, as well as the waves of oceans from afar, as well as the the vibrations of a helicopter. Um, to me, that's what I don't want to forget, is that the world is so beautiful. 
Um, so it was instructive. It was instructive. Hmm. And you point out, of course, all through the book that uh, it, erosion, at least in the natural landscapes, erosion is what's produced so much beauty, right? But and then you connect Absolutely. it up, connect it up, as you say, with 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 yourself, with us. And you you quote Robin Wall Kimmer, uh, who I'll name drop, who's on on the program just a couple of weeks ago, um, tells the story of a beloved professor who had the initials NYS uh, behind his name. What, <laughs> what does that stand for? Yeah, not yet soil. Don't you love that? So, but that can be unsettling, right? But 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 not to you. You know, the nitrogen cycle is just great for me. You know, it's at the base of my philosophy. But I also have to say, Tom, you know, when we went through the cremation process with my brother's body, um, Hank and I, um, as siblings, Hank having made a promise to Dan that he would see him through the cremation. You know, we were at Sunset Lawn. There was an extraordinary man named Mr. Rabe who allowed us to participate in the cremation. It was not macabre. It was not horror. It was exquisite. And I didn't even know that one could participate in that process. But to me, the more engaged we can become in the things that scare us, the more liberated we are to live in a larger world that sustains us, that shows us we are connected to everything else. And again, um, the basis of, of wonder and awe. And I write about that. Um, one of the essays that for me was the most difficult to write and, and truly the most meaningful is a beautiful, rugged place about Dan and about his life, his death, and his um, being returned to the land with my brother Hank carrying his ashes that were 8.2 pounds, the same pound, the same weight that Dan was as a baby. His birth weight was his death weight. It's also the same weight of a gallon of water in the desert. I mean, to me, this this is what is beautiful. Again, how our undoing can, in a in a sense, be our becoming if we're open. Mm. You, uh, it's it's not easy, right? You you I, I, I don't have it right in front of me, but uh, one of your quotes was that dealing with your your brother's suicide, thinking about it. Uh, I don't know if it still remains, but at that time it rains uh, like like a uh, rope around your neck, right? A, a, a tightening around around you. It's been the hardest thing I've faced, you know. And we've we've had losses in our family, as all families do. But for those who have experienced death by suicide of loved ones, um, I felt like I was. Um, buried in an avalanche of questions, and um, no, you never get over that. And I think about Dan every day, and, um, you know, with regrets and sorrow, but I also feel him every day. And we had talked about these choices um, for a lifetime, and I will be honest, you know, when, when I heard that 
that this happened, um, my first response was I was so proud of him. And that that's in Dan's case, you know, where his suffering had become too much. And yet, and yet, and yet. Um, so, you know, life is not easy. But I think, as my father said, you know, we have to stare it down. And, and that is one way of approaching grief. Another is um, to embrace it and to realize those breaks in one's heart are the, are the cavities of love. Let's, uh, uh, by the way, uh, before we go to break, is, is there, I don't know if you have your book with you, any passage you'd, you'd like to read? Um, I'm still thinking about Dan. Um, can you give me a second? Yeah, let's, well, let's do this. Let's, let's do the break and then uh, through the break and then when we come back, uh, you'll, uh, I'd love they'll, to they'll give you a little time to, to choose something. Uh, also to prep you, I'd, I'd like to, following the break, I'd like to talk about, uh, there's an essay where you talk about, um, extraordinary experience, um, at Yosemite National Park and, uh. Uh, the giant sequoias, and, and about uh, something you mentioned earlier about listening. Um, we'll you know, maybe um, Tom, I can read that section. Oh, that'd be that'd be wonderful. I think that I think that's a great idea. Thank okay. you. All right, uh, we're talking with Terry Tempest Williams, uh, and her new book is called Erosion: Essays of Undoing. Um, she is uh, currently writer in residence at Harvard Divinity School. That's where we've reached her, Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, she and her husband Brooke uh, divide their time between there and. Castle Valley, uh, Utah. Also, before we go to break, just another plug for this panel discussion, which uh, happened last week on the USU campus in conjunction with a, an exhibit at the Norikels Harrison Museum of Art at Utah State University. Uh, the photographer David Mazel was granted access to Dugway Proving Ground. The result is Proving Ground, a, a series of uh, photographs. It's an extraordinary exhibit. And in conjunction with that, there was a panel discussion including uh, David Mazel, also Mark Brunson, environmental ecologist at USU, Vincent Lydiard, chief of staff at Dugway, and uh, uh, Terry Tempest-Williams, of course. The moderator was Matthew LaPlante, USU journalism professor. We'll have that uh, panel discussion for you Friday, 10 a.m. and Saturday, 3 p.m. of this week. More following this break. Utah is home to breathtaking natural wonders and rigorous scientific research, and the issues affecting our natural world are important to the life of every Utahn. That's why we're answering the question, so what? Science Utah is your home for all things science. Our team of science reporters, most of them graduate students from USU's Ecology Center, are updating you on the latest in science news and providing commentary on pressing issues. Because scientific topic, from air quality to our national parks and even gene editing, matters to Utah. Join us as we explore the world of Science Utah, available at upr.org, the UPR app, and anywhere you get your podcasts. It's haunting time on the Putumayo World Music Hour. Halloween is a time of spooky celebration, and on the next Putumayo World Music Hour, we'll hear songs about ghosts, spirits, and black magic. I'm Dan Storper. And I'm Rosalie Howarth. Join us for Halloween Around the World on the next Putumayo World Music Hour. Join us Friday night at 10 on Utah Public Radio. 
My name is Lee Austin, and I worked here for many years as program director, and now happily retired and living and listening to UPR mostly in Wayne County at 94.5 FM. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We've reached our last segment with Terry Tempest Williams. Her latest book is Erosion, Essays of Undoing. Um, and uh, so Terry Tempest Williams, um, this maybe you could read a, a portion from this, uh, this essay that we referenced before the break. Uh, and this goes to the theme that you talked about earlier, about listening. I'd love to read it. You know, I want to say one thing, Tom, that Katie Lee Coven, who's the director of the Eccles Museum of Art, needs to be given so much credit for her courage in curating David Mazzell's um, exhibit and for really um, being the mastermind behind that exhibit and and panel. I just, I I was so moved and impressed by her. So I just want to acknowledge of, of who was behind that. Appreciate that. Yeah, she's pretty impressive. I'll also put another plug. You can uh, go to upr.org and find my Access Utah conversation with David Mazel and Katie Lee Coven uh, about that exhibit. So thank you for letting me read this. This is the last section of erosion called The Liturgy of Home. And do we have a couple of minutes that I could read that story? Yes, certainly. Okay. Sue Beatty, a lead biologist at Yosemite National Park, now retired, offers an example of a liturgy of home. We met in 2016 inside the Mariposa Grove, where she told me this story. And this is really, just as a background to the listeners, um, it really answers the question, what are the qualities most needed in this epoch of the Anthropocene? What are the qualities that we might seek to cultivate? And I would argue the most important quality we can cultivate is the capacity to listen. So Sue Beatty um, is an example of this. She's the lead biologist at Yosemite National Park. To remember why she does her job, two or three times a week, Sue would walk through the Mariposa Grove, where the giant sequoias are known to be between 2,000 and 3,000 years old. She would imagine what they have lived through and witnessed. But one day, when she was walking through her normal pattern of thought, her pattern of thought was disrupted. I imagined the big trees were speaking to her. We are suffering. We are dying. Can you hear us? What she saw in the grove were roots trampled and soil erosion in the extreme. She looked up and saw how the giant sequoias were continuing to grow larger in spite of the road being only a foot away. People were parking their cars on the roots of the big trees. She noticed how the surface water was being diverted through roadside ditches away from the trees. And she wondered what actions she and her team could take to alleviate their suffering. Sue would tell you that I'm giving her too much credit, that this was a collaborative effect, an effort with her project management team. Perhaps that is true, but I would tell you she is a modest human being whose sensitivity to the sequoias made all the difference. Sue Beatty had a vision of restoration. Quote, as a group, we discussed what we needed to start planning for a restoration of the group, she said. I proposed, along with Kimball Cock, the project manager, that we needed a comprehensive analysis of the Mariposa Grove, a complete inventory of the giant sequoias, wetland mapping, a hydrologic look at water diversion, roadside ditches, wildlife surveys of rare species, 
an anthropological study and the evaluation of how visitors were currently using the grove, which is what they did. They gathered this information on the Sequoia's behalf, which helped provide the basis for the planning effort to improve the habitat for the giant sequoias in the belief that it would be and it would also be an improvement of the visitor's experience. What was wrong? Since the Mariposa's Grove protection by President Abraham Lincoln as part of the Yosemite Land Grand Act of 1864, millions of people's feet had been tamping down the Sequoia's roots. Roads and buildings had been encroaching on their root systems. In a sense, the big trees were suffocating. They could not breathe. The xylem and phloem were not flowing properly, neither were the natural waterways and wetlands. What did Sue and her team recommend? Removing all the pavement in the grove so that the fragile root systems could heal. Restoring some semblance of stillness to the chaos of park visitation. Roads would be realigned. A different vision would be sought. The Mariposa Grove would no longer be a place of entertainment and recreation but a place of reverence and restoration. No more trams, no more vans, no more cars, but rather seekers who could hold the quiet with the sequoias. The planning team took this data and they recommended to the superintendent and management team of Yosemite National Park who listened what was needed. Together they discussed with the leadership within the National Park Service the most ambitious restoration project in the history of Yosemite. The proposal for the restoration of the Mariposa Grove was approved. $40 million was raised, much of it from citizen donations. And for three years, the big trees rested. The tram stopped. The parking lot was removed and relocated two miles away. Visitors were redirected to other places in the park, and miles of asphalt were removed. Roads taken out that impinged on the tree's root systems and replaced with gentle walking paths and trails designed for the ecological well-being of the trees. Wetlands and waterways were restored. All commercial activities, from the gift shop to the tram rides, ceased and were relocated elsewhere in the park. Sue Beatty and her team listened to the land and responded not only from what they knew as scientists, but from what they imagined as individuals who cared. The status quo was no longer acceptable. The possible became the necessary. The giant sequoias were not objects to be studied, but sentient beings to be recognized as venerable members of the Yosemite community. Beatty and her colleagues acted by using the gifts that were theirs and changed the landscape on behalf of the big trees. The entire forest benefited. In the summer of 2018, the public was invited back to pay their respects to the ancient ones. Peace and stillness have been restored. Now, when you walk into the Mariposa Grove and stand before these great beings, you are met with an invitation. Can you hear the trees speaking? This is the liturgy of home. Uh, uh, wonderful. That's uh, and that's from Terry Tempest Williams reading from her book Erosion. Um, so that's a success story that started with Sue Beatty's walk among the sequoias and in listening. And you know, I have to say, 
I love Sue so much. And when I met her, when we walked among those big trees, she told me that story. And, you know, what I heard her say that in her normal walk, pattern of walking through the trees, she literally heard in her heart, we are suffering, we are dying, can you hear us? We are suffering, we are hearing, dying, can you hear us? And it haunted her, and that's when she went back to her team. And with the precision of a scientist's mind, they really found the cause. You know, a million visitors through time, millions and millions of visitors through a hundred years, feet stomping down those roots, suffocating the trees. We are suffering. We are dying. Can you hear us? And they did. And now it is a place of quiet reference, you know, reverence and restoration rather than recreation and exploitation. So I think it shows each of us at a time when we wonder, you know, what, what difference can we make, especially one person? If we have the capacity to listen, create collaboration, which creates community, we can inspire radical change together. I want to, uh, it's a good transition, I want to talk about um, activism. We've been talking about listening, talking about community, talking about having hard conversations. Uh, in your book, you also talk about uh, activists who have been influential in your life, including anti-apartheid crusader, um, is his name Brighton, Breitenbach? Is that how you pronounce his name? Yes, Brighton uh, Breitenbach, yes. So he, he's... he wrote an amazing book called Confessions of an Albino Terrorist. Mm. Um, an amazing poet. And, you know, I met him in 1994. That's a long time ago. We were in Mexico, a group of writers from all over the world, and we were there to look at the butterfly migration, monarch butterflies in Morelia. And when we were on the bus back, going back to Mexico City, I will never forget Tom when he looked at me and he said, you Americans, you have mastered the art of living with the unacceptable. That has haunted me for decades. You Americans, you have mastered the art of living with the unacceptable. So, so not a compliment. Hardly. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I keep thinking, you know, what, what are we living with that is unacceptable? And I, I can tell you what I'm living with that is unacceptable is that in San Juan County, there are hundreds of Native people, Dine, Navajo, Ute Mountain Ute, Paiute, um, who have no water, who have no running water. There is, you know, I, I, I mean, if we can even take that in as members of the state of Utah, there are families, 80 families in, in Westwater that have no running water. Why? My father took a look at this on the map, and he said, this is not about money. This is about racism. Um, there are members of our community, the Diné community, who have no running water in Monument Valley. But Goulding's certainly does. And I think these are the kinds of questions that we need to be asking each other. Who benefits when Navajo families have no water? Who benefits? Um, and How? You know, if that's not racism, I don't know what is. And I think as, as members of this state, we have to really um, make sure that every 
citizen in the state of Utah has water. Um, I, I don't even know what to do with it. That is unacceptable. Um, the fact that we have these, you know, holding tanks and uh, at the border, that is unacceptable. Um, the immigration policy of this country right now is unacceptable. I mean, we can make a long list. And, you know, I think we all wonder, you know, how did, how did the, the horrible crimes um, that occurred in World War II with the Holocaust occur? I'm coming to understand how that occurred. It's that we all are just going on with our life as usual. And um, heinous things are occurring. And we can, we can make a difference. And that's, I think, what I am so grateful um, that activists in this country are doing and what the young people are doing regarding climate justice. And um, I think we have a right and responsibility to join um, in these concerns. We're uh, reaching the end of our conversation. I want to make sure I get this email in. Um... Um, you can get a quick email in as well, upraxis at gmail.com if you'd like. This is from Tom Harridan, uh in Castle Valley. Uh, Tom says, Tom and Terry, um, and the, the title of the email is Afraid of Being Forgotten, referring back to our uh, the conversation earlier. Um, a, a National Park Service ranger friend of mine, he says, once told me she loved big cities because everyone else lived there. That's uh, Tom Harrigan. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for that. Well, I... Tom, thank you. You know, I have to tell you, just even through this conversation, it makes me crazy. You know, we've got lawn blowers. I'm ready to launch a campaign against lawn blowers. You know, you it is there is no stillness here in Cambridge. I can tell you that. Mm. You know, I have to sleep with these Lucy Carmichael. What are they? Sleep masks because lights are shining in the the room. I don't think we realize, you know, how how lucky we are and. Um, city life is certainly very different from living in Castle Valley. Mm. Uh, so thanks, Tom. Uh, Tom's a National Park Service uh, personnel uh, retired. Uh, by the way, um, yeah. uh, uh, following his uh, signature, he has a, a Navajo saying, uh, which I, I won't attempt to read, but the translation apparently is walk in beauty. So thanks for that, Tom. Um, we, we just have about two minutes left, Terry Tempest-Williams. I wonder uh, what your... I always like to talk about takeaway. What's your, what's your takeaway? What would you have people take away from this conversation and, and from erosion? That we live in an extraordinary state called Utah, that we have public lands that are fuel for our spirits, and there are Native people in our state that have so much to teach us and that that's where leadership, I believe, can be found right now in the state of Utah, in San Juan County with Bears Ears National Monument. Um, and it, it's really in wildness that I find um, the greatest strength and hope that we are eroding, and we know the beauty of erosion when we stand at the Needles Overlook seeing canyonlands or arches or the Temple of Sinawava in Zion, um, or Logan Canyon. And I just, I think what I would want to say, Tom, is just to realize, you know, this, these difficult times, it's not so much about hope, but knowing where hope can be located. 
And for me, that is always in Utah, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how many times we may feel um, not seen or heard. There is an exquisite community of of people who live there um, among the wild uh, landscape that has given us our identities. So I just, I feel flushed with gratitude, and I'm so grateful um, to be speaking with you, Tom. I loved being in Utah State, and I love the conversations that are happening in our own home ground. And again, I'm so grateful for the perspective that I'm gleaning here in Cambridge, um, in a community that is free and open and committed to ideas. Um, I'm grateful. Well, thank you. We appreciate uh, you uh, giving us some time as well. It's always a pleasure. Um, Terry Temps Williams, we reached her in Cambridge because she is writer in residence at Harvard Divinity School right now. Splits her time with her husband, Brooke Williams, between Cambridge and Castle Valley, uh, Utah. The latest book is Erosion Essays of Undoing. Put in a plug for the website as well, coyoteclan.com. Uh, and one more plug for this uh, broadcast of the panel discussion, Utah's Proving Ground, of which uh, Terry Tempest Williams, one of the panelists, also the artist David Maisel. That uh, broadcast will be this uh, Friday morning at 10 and repeated Saturday afternoon at 3. Terry Tempest Williams, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, and hello to everyone in Castle Valley. Love to you, Tom. Thank you. And thanks for listening to Access Utah. Utah Public Radio is a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanity and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Bernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, also heard at upr.org.